When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Texas Sports, the Horn. All right, it's official now. Some breaking news out of the great Northeast there where uh, Boston College has indeed hired Bill O'Brien to be their new head football coach. There you go. Replacing Jeff Halfley, who left to go be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. So B.O.B. is back as a head coach, which means Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator of Ohio State, needs a new offensive coordinator. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to Ryan Day, honestly. Because that we all knew that offense did not – they weren't compatible. Um, was Bill O'Brien going to run Bill O'Brien's offense? Was he going to come into Ohio State and do a cover version of Ryan Day's offense? Like, what was the plan there? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get that one from the jump. Yeah. So, I, actually, know. I think this will be work out better for Ohio State. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, they got to go – it depends on who he goes and hires now. Because he is – he has said he's going re, to replace him. Yeah. He's not going to not have a, a play caller. He wants to give up the duties and be more of the uh, CEO – of Ohio State. Of course, Steve Sarkeesian still calls his place here, and he'll never give that up here. I don't no, think. He is, no, <laughs> no, he's not going to give that up. No, he will be calling plays here at Texas. But, uh, yeah, that would just seemed odd. Obviously, Bill O'Brien was an offensive coordinator when Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy. But was that about Bill O'Brien? Was that Bryce Young um, being just an unbelievable playmaker? Um, and, and we got to see Bill O'Brien in Houston as a, as a Texans head coach. He was really a, a pretty strong head coach for the first several years, and then you know, too many roles, too much responsibility in Houston, and it uh, wheels came off. We know, and uh, they're just now cleaning up the mess from Bill O'Brien's last couple of years in, in Houston. So he will take over at Boston College in the ACC. So, and, and yes, Ryan Day at a news conference on Monday, or Tuesday, on signing Wednesday, Wednesday, signing day, was asked, you know, because at that point Bill O'Brien was a strong candidate for the Boston College job, and he was asked, you know, are you aware of it? What's your plan? And he said, yes, we've, we interviewed a lot of people. Uh, we, we have a plan for if Bill O'Brien takes the BC job. So you can expect them to hire somebody. Um, yeah, I just, uh, like I said, I never understood the Bill O'Brien hire anyway from a Ryan Day perspective. But we'll see if he goes a different direction. Like, if he goes in a similar direction as Bill O'Brien, I don't even know what that could be. Maybe just an NFL guy who's got some NFL chops and NFL experience. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Bill O'Brien, say what you want about him. A lot of people got a lot of uh, negative things to say about Bill O'Brien. But Bill O'Brien, the head coach, actually – showed a lot of promise in his career early on. Not only in the Penn State, in the midst of the tragedy, right, he was able to uh, get that program back on track after the, the, the Jerry Sandusky uh, scandal. And that was probably more challenging than any of us could ever realize. And then he went to the Texans, and guys, he won, he won what, four division titles with the Texans? He did. Think about that, guys. That's a, that's a lot. And before they – and by, by the way, we just talked about this with Andre Johnson. If we could talk about this with Andre Johnson, we might as well talk about it with Bill O'Brien too. He did it without an elite quarterback now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, that, that was the only elite quarterback available to him, and they were still able to finish first in that division 2015, 2016, 2018, and in 2019. So, I mean, he, he showed promise as a good head coach to be able to make win some games, win the division. Uh, I think what ultimately you brought up, what ultimately was his downfall, was power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. They gave him way too much power. There was a power vacuum within the structure of the organization, and they decided 
instead of filling that power vacuum with capable, competent football minds with a true chain of command, they said, ah, just give it to Bill O'Brien, let him do it. Yeah. Let's give him the, let him be the GM. Uh, let him be the play caller. Well, that was Cal uh, let him be the, And it, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that when, when now the late Bob McNair passed that uh, it was it was a bad stretch of yeah. leadership and lack of leadership. And that hurt Bill O'Brien. It did. It did, 100%. Yeah. It 100% did. And, you know, to his own fault, he probably took advantage because, you know, he could see the lack of leadership, so somebody had to step in. And he's like, I'll do it. I mean, somebody had he's to do Belichick it. He's a Belichick guy, so he's like, I got it. Yeah, somebody had to. And you ain't Belichick. Uh, and it was all to the detriment of, uh, of the team. But now, obviously, the Texans are in a different spot, and now Boston College has a new head coach. So that starts the hour. Uh, we've talked a lot of Super Bowl, obviously, Rod. Rod is uh, going to be headed to the Super Bowl tonight. You're going out to Vegas. This is awesome. Yep. Staying at the Bellagio. Mm-hmm. Be at the game on Sunday. Yes, sir. Uh, and back here as soon as you can Monday morning. Uh, I already gave you this all week long in our, our What the Fact segment, Rod. Given the over unders and, and the picks that I have, let's go through these real quick. See where you are with me. I got George Kittle over forty eight and a half receiving yards. Okay, and I cited the, uh, the the he kills man coverage and the Chiefs may play a ton of man coverage. I think yeah. Kittle because you just mentioned in your Rod's rant that uh, when they do the the twenty two or twenty one personnel. One of these people's going to end up a linebacker, and George Kittle can beat linebackers. Oh, all of them can be linebackers. That's right, and that's where I like Kittle over forty-eight and a half yards. I think he yep. may be one of the top targets here. One. I like that, and I'm actually going to take Patrick Mahomes on my on my underdog fantasy uh, lower. I'm taking lower than two hundred and sixty-three and a half passing yards, but I think it's down to two sixty-two now. Yeah. But I got it at two sixty-three. Uh, I just think the I mean this is inflated based on even his postseason and regular season results. He doesn't hit explosive plays like they used to. It's a lot of dink and dunk passing and, and keep the chains moving. And they live on their defense these days. Okay. So I think the number is more – he's going to be more like 240, 250-ish. And I think the, the 263 is inflated because people – fans like betting overs. They like betting mm-hmm. bigger numbers, right, they going higher. Bet points and, yeah. And I'm taking Brock Purdy over .5 INTs, Rod. Over point, I think he's a throw pick in this game. Yeah. He's throwing, a, throwing like four or five picks already in the playoffs, right? And you could also put Patrick Mahomes in that. He's thrown zero picks, and he's got the same thing, point five. Patrick Mahomes has thrown zero interception in the last six playoff games, guys. Six playoff games. <laughs> so he's, he's pretty that's, efficient that's with the football. The longest such streak in, I think, NFL history to play six playoff games without throwing a pick. Uh, God does not make a lot of bad decisions. Zach Prescott's jealous. Christian <laughs> McCaffrey, I have him under five, five uh, catches, five receptions, and lower than five receptions. I'm going with that. Because I think he is, uh, you know, that's also inflated. If you just, I mean, all you can do on these is go to regular season numbers, and the average is about three catches a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do use him in screen game a lot, but you know, people assume. But you know, five's a lot for a running back. That uh, is a lot. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to take under. And again, I think that's inflated because he's people look at that. Oh man, he's the number one weapon in football. He doesn't catch as many passes as you think. And then uh, Brandon Ayuk over, over sixty-two and a half receiving yards, higher than sixty-two and a half. Because I think when uh, Debo is going to be their focus, see if you're Steve Spagnuolo, you got to handle Debo and you got to handle CMC. And I just mentioned Kittle. I think it's it's Ayuk that goes over 62 and a half. Mm, yeah, he's the man beater. I mean, he's the guy that usually gets when you have to, you know, pick your poison. Uh, Debo and Christian McCaffrey are your first two priorities to stop, and then after that, you're going to end up kind of dividing the rest of your resources into man-to-man coverage with those other guys. And Brandon Ayuk ends up being the guy in a lot of time in man-to-man coverage just because, number one, he doesn't move around a lot, and Shannon moves around every piece of uh, his offense, so all these movable chess pieces, and that's one that's stationary, and that's Brandon Ayuk, so it makes him easier to designate a defender for. But then when they're playing man coverage, they want to – most teams are going to bracket or double-team or show, shade or roll coverage toward Debo 
or to Christian McCaffrey only because since he moves him around so much, I need multiple defenders to designate it to have that responsibility because he may motion to always the other side of formation. Yep. All right. And I may have to bump the coverage or I may have to have that, that defender go with him. Like it's so many different solutions you got to have built into your defense just to account for all the movement. Brandon Ayuk is never moving. He's always right there, same guy. And that's why he's going to get the man coverage all the time. And he's beating it time and time again this year. As a matter of fact, I think the stat that I got is that if you go look at receivers who have – this This is uh, – yeah, this is including the playoffs too. If you go look at highest yards per reception on passes between the numbers, uh, that's Brandon Ayuk. He's at 17.4. All right, and that's where that man coverage is usually inside leverage is what you have man coverage in. You're trying to take away the inside most of the field. And that's usually what Brandon Ayuk eats once he violates that inside yeah, leverage. Because there's he, nobody there to catch. Everybody else is double teaming somebody else. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he, as you decided, he doesn't usually catch short passes. When he catches, yeah. they're, they're pushed down the they're field. down the field, man. And that's why I like that. Chunky that higher than 62 and a half. And, like and the that. last one I like, Rod, you have to think, I mean, this one might be a sucker bet, but, but Travis Kelsey, will he score a touchdown, essentially, is the bet, because it's .5. I mean, of course he will. Yeah. <laughs> number, take that. He's the number one weapon. He's the number one weapon for either quarterback in this game. Yes, he is. And him and Patrick Mahomes, I think, have the greatest bromance and chemistry in the history of the league. I, I think it's. I think they've now surpassed Gronk and Brady and Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. I, I've never seen anything like it. They don't even run precise routes. They, there's no right angles in these routes. Look at Travis Kelsey just running. He's just running to open spots to get open. And that's what Marquez Valdez-Scantley said is the difference between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers is very precise. He's very specific about what he wants, what he demands in his routes and the, the depth of the route and when you make the break and all this kind of stuff. And Patrick Mahomes is like, no, nah, just get open. I'll find you. Yeah, that's, that is such a cool thing, too, because, you know, Troy Aikman is that way. Troy Aikman would get livid if his receivers were half a yard off. Yeah, exactly. He goes, y'all, I'm throwing it here. I need you to be here yeah. on this step. Exactly right. <laughs> Most quarterbacks are. That's right, because well, that's how they train, right? That's how they practice. And, um, you know, Aikman was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the, you know, of all time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, I, and I also give uh, uh, Andy Reid credit for that and allowing it, just like, you know, this works, y'all. He does. Yeah, because uh, yeah, we have a route tree, and we'd like you to run the proper route, but – or just get open. Just get open. It's like you did in the backyard when you were a kid. <laughs> That's what he and Kelsey do. And that's what, but that makes it tougher to defend. I can oh. defend a route tree because it's more predictable. I know yeah, what's sure. going to come from the route tree. When Travis Kelsey is out there trying to get open, I have no idea where the hell he's going to find the vulnerability of the defense. And basically what they do is just spread the floor sometimes, like a basketball team. And they spread the floor while running nine routes on the outside and out cuts on the outside and just letting everything open up for Kelsey and say, Kelsey, get open. Yeah. So I'm going to take Kelsey for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, in this game, and uh, the question will be: Once he catches that touchdown, how many, how long will they shine the camera on one Taylor Swift? Uh, oh yeah, that's, the Swifties. Uh, she'll get you know, you know, usual ten to fifteen seconds. Yeah. Something like that. But uh, I don't think it'll be excessive. I think it'll be the same as it's always been. Uh, even so, though people think that's excessive, but right, I don't. Th- those are those are going to be my underdog fantasy higher lower picks for Super Bowl Fifty Four. 58. I'm sorry, they played in Super Bowl 54. Those, take them or lose them, or take them or leave them, whatever you want to do, take them or lose them. I like that. I like uh, the uh, Kittle, Mahomes, Purdy, McCaffrey, Ayuk, and uh, Travis Kelsey. That's six picks. Did you mention the rushing uh, attempts by the by Patrick Mahomes? Was that, Oh, like I did four? that earlier, yeah. I do like Patrick Mahomes more than four, uh, higher I like that one than too. four and a half rushing attempts. He's been rushing a lot lately. Yeah, these are all ones I like a lot. Uh, Patrick, because Patrick Mahomes is just such a shrewd, Oh, man. He just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's got zero turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> and, like, zero, zero turnover-worthy means he hasn't even made a bad decision yet in the playoffs. Like, how is that possible? 
Yeah, so I'm going higher than 4.5 rushing attempts. Mm-hmm. All he's got to do is avoid a sack and gain a yard, and you get an attempt on that. Oh, he's been doing that. Because, you know, right at Underdog Fantasy, you can also, like, do targets. Like, oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to do catches. Like, how many times will we target Travis Kelsey? Uh, becomes a question. You go higher or lower. So it makes it fun. But, yeah, that did, you know, I'll be watching all these. So I got, I got six or seven picks, actually, not five. Uh, but I've been giving to you, giving to you all week. All right, as for the game itself, um, you know, Rod, you'll be there, and you're, you're, you're Switzerland on this thing because you're, your great friend Kyle Shanahan, you're rooting for him. But yep. you, will, you vowed to never pick against Patrick Mahomes again. I will never do it again. So, so we're, not, we're not making a pick. Not making a pick. I picked the Chiefs. Uh, but I'm rooting for the 49ers. Brock picked the Chiefs as well. All right, a couple pieces of sound. I need to play this for our Cowboys fans here in the 10 o'clock hour. I wanted to play. This is uh, Darren Woodson. Darren Woodson. And this is important, right? He's talking about Cowboy fans are kind of underwhelmed, I think, a lot of them by the Mike Zimmer hire. Uh, some are excited. Some think the 67-year-old, you mentioned having a you know, veteran head coach on your mm-hmm. staff, coach who almost took his team to a Super Bowl in Minnesota. He almost took the Case Keenum-led Vikings to the Super Bowl. That's wild. But as the uh, texter mentioned, everywhere he's gone, the defenses improve and play really well, mm-hmm. which is what you're asking for of your defensive coordinator. Yep. Well, here's Darren Woodson, who did not get into the Hall of Fame last night, unfortunately. I think he should at some point. But uh, he was asked, and he's still friendly, you'll hear this, friendly with Mike Zimmer. They talk often, and he thinks it's a real good hire for the Dallas Cowboys season he's pretty much sat on the sideline and I can't tell you how many times this year he and I talked about football like every week like every week he's calling about so and so and this and that and he's just so engaged in the game that you know again I'm biased by it but you know if you want someone that's going to shock the system he's not going to be your best friend he's just not I mean he and I became friends after a long time because it was a respect factor that ended up being a friendship but He's tough, uh, hard-nosed. Uh, some players will not want to play uh, uh, for him because you know he's gonna. The expectations are gonna be harder than they, they've, uh, they've they've expected in the last few years. Sure. But he knows the game better than anyone, and uh, he's gonna coach hard. And I think that to me, that's the shock this team needs. All right, that's interesting. Now, hearing it the second time, that's what Brock mentioned that somewhat of a shot at Dan Quinn, other than saying that you know. He's going to expect more than maybe have been expected. And we always know that Dan Quinn's been known as kind of a player's coach, and the players all mm-hmm. like him a lot. I mean, that's where Woodson's saying, he's not going to be your friend. He's not going to be your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to come I think after. he's just saying it's a different style. 100%. I think he's just like, no, every coach has a different style. And his style's going to be, he's not going to be the guy in the trenches with you uh, cracking jokes. That's not him. He's not a player's coach. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it, it, the last line there was the, the shock to the system the, the, that they need. Because, look, I mean, the way, that, the way that season ended was ridiculous. And their defensive performance with two guys who were up for the, the MVP on defense, you give up 50 points essentially on your home field. I know one of them came on a pick six. But, I mean, that was a dreadful defensive performance. And, it was. Uh, yeah. That's, and, well, to that point, here's Demarcus Lawrence. He was on the, whatever yeah. the Stephen A. Smith show is. What's that? I don't even know what it's called. Uh, Stephen, not Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp yeah. on Fox. And here was Shannon Sharp asking him what were wrong because they had talked earlier previously than, to this cut about, you know, DeMarcus said, man, I wish we were here playing. And here's a, the question of Shannon Sharp and the answer of DeMarcus Lawrence. You mentioned how you wish your team was here. Mm-hmm. What happened and why your team isn't here? Uh, all honesty, I think the main thing is we was burned out, man. Uh, you know, long season, um, team dominantly healthy throughout the season you know um the legs get tired but also um you know you got to give hats off to green bay man they came out with a great game plan um you know rolling out towards micah and then running away from me i feel like you know 
that's that's what they needed to you know get their game started and they jumped on us fast and what about adjustments yeah adjustments man um uh, you know feel like we went in the locker room and you know we came out you know ready with our adjustments but uh still didn't go the way that we planned it to go all right there's your team leader right yeah. there want tired legs and long seasons wow these basically means that's a lot that's a that's a criticism or a critique on the conditioning of the team. So your strength and conditioning coach has to be called out there if that is the case. You're supposed to be peaking by the time you go to the playoffs. So that's an organizational failure as to why you guys weren't playing your best football at the end of the season. The Green Bay Packers certainly did. They, I'm sure they retired too, played their best football of the season in that game versus the, uh, the Cowboys. Um, that's also the motivational factor. I mean, Mike McCarthy, that's part of your job as a coach, to motivate guys. Guys aren't motivated um, to get, to go above and beyond, which doesn't seem like they were, didn't play like it. And then from that uh, sound, the guys were burnt out, so they didn't even have the, the passion, really, uh, to go out there and put it on display. I don't know. This is, that's, I wish he would have kept that to himself. If I'm a Cowboys fan or if I'm playing in that locker room, I wish DeMarcus Lawrence would have kept that one to himself. Well, awareness is key. The burnout and... thing. Because you know, part of me thinks he was just answering it to give an answer and didn't realize just how bad that sounded. But, I mean, you know, if you're going to go on these interviews, you're going out to, to the Super Bowl. Like, Dak Prescott's not there. He's about to have a baby, yeah. apparently. Um, you know you're going to be asked that. Yeah, you got to have an answer. You're going to be asked about that game. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't our day. You know, as, we got what, beat. As, what was it? Green. Kevin Stefanski said after they got whipped by the Texans, it was we picked a bad day to have a bad day. You know, that's a cliche, but it's, a it's perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, Shannon, we picked a bad day to have a bad day. Yeah. We played a lot of good football in 2023. That's, Unfortunately, we, we had our worst day on that day. That's what the coach speak is for. That's, Moments like that. Not, it was a long season and our legs were tired. That's basically what he said. <laughs> that we were tired after 17 games in 18 weeks. Yeah, but how many games have the Packers played? Remind me. Same amount. Yeah. And they were a younger team and they, they had to go on the road. On the you road. Were at home? And you were at home going up against a, one of the youngest teams in the NFL. In the NFL playoffs, period. Uh, yeah. Last one I want to play for That's you something. as we talk about the Super Bowl and the Cowboys not being in the Super Bowl. Uh, because it's Radio Row, all the Cowboys, everybody wants to interview them. Emmett Smith did an interview with the show that uh, precedes our show here mm-hmm. in the mornings. And I think they over they replay it from yesterday, like the afternoon, on CBS Sports Radio. And it's uh, Mag- Maggie and Perloff. Okay. And here's Andrew Pulloff asking Emmett Smith about Dak Prescott. And uh, once again, a former Cowboy not holding, holding <laughs> not withholding much. A lot of people pointing to Dak Prescott had such an outstanding regular season Mm -hmm. and he hasn't been able to get over the hump in the playoffs. What's going on with Dak? I think it's preparation. Um, I mean, some things I I, I, I can only point to one game and this is this to me sums it up for me. This sums it up for me. We're playing Detroit in Dallas and it's a heck of a game. We actually take the lead. Detroit is driving to try to come down to score and get the lead back. We picked the ball off, and it's about three minutes left, and I think they almost are out of timeouts. If not out of timeouts, they will be. All we have to do is just milk the clock, and we get the pick, so we go one, two, three, get first down, and all we have to do is milk the clock. Instead, guess what? We throw the ball three straight times. How smart is that? That is absolutely Hideous. All you have to do is just run the rock or take a knee. I don't care. But then <laughs> when you throw the ball the third time and the quarterback throw the ball out of bounds to stop the clock, it doesn't even take a sack. So that says to me either he was not prepared properly or he forgot he was playing the game. 
All right, so there's Emmett Smith. He's talking about a regular season game, but pointing out uh, maybe uh, he said preparation. Mm-hmm. But then at the end he said, you know, you're not prepared to play the game if you can't mentally be checked in. And, look, that's an indictment of Mike McCarthy calling three straight run plays. But we know Dak, it's his offense, and he can check out of plays and, and run run the offense. It's, you know, I, I remember that thinking the same thing watching that game. I was in yeah. New Orleans at the, uh, the, the casino, and we're all thinking, well, why are they throwing here? They, they got the lead. You don't you, the clock is your friend here, guys. Didn't make they sense. They don't have then. timeouts. Yeah, it didn't make sense. Um, come on, and of course that game ended up with with Dan. No one talked about that because it was all about Dan Campbell going for two, mm-hmm. and going yeah. for two, and then going for two, and keep going for two. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't. And he became the uh, the conversation in that penalty call, not that. But yes, uh, and then of course on on day of game they had tired legs and got run off their own field well I don't know if it's he said it's you know lack of preparation that could very well be the case but you know it also seems to me that that was maybe Mike McCarthy trying to have faith in Dak the Dak to go close off the game for us now we're going to disagree with the strategy behind it but you know the Detroit Lions did that with Jared with Jared Goff yeah gave him a chance gave him a chance to basically go close out the game and end the game and he did it and he did it in the playoffs I I don't think Dak has shown that ability yet to, to be that guy, put the ball in his hands with the game on the line in the postseason in clutch time and then have you know Dak ultimately lead your team to the promised land. I know that wasn't in the postseason, but my point is that's where his ghosts are. That's, what that, that's right. Dak Prescott's so cold. Oh, man. Well, yeah. and I think that's what um, Emmett's alluding to. I mean, Emmett played with one of the smartest quarterbacks ever and Troy Aikman and just the awareness. To his point on third down, okay, you didn't get first or second down. Don't, don't throw it away. Take it, put, put your knee down. Put your knee down. And make that clock run. Yeah, go, go scramble for a yard or two and keep the clock going. Do something. Yeah. And this goes back to clock management. Situational awareness. Game situation. Yeah. yeah. Yep, situational um, awareness. That's true. Uh, this says, when you hear the Demarcus Lawrence quote, you have to believe Mike Zimmer's going to be a great change. And several people have mentioned that was on first take with Shannon Sharp and the crew. So thank you very much. Appreciate that. One other note, Rod, and then we'll get to the timeout and come back uh, behind the burn orange curtain. We'll also preview everything else going on this weekend that is not related to uh, the Super Bowl. That'll be most people's focus. But the final award handed out last night, Rod, went to Cameron Hayward. And what a, what a great piece they did. You know, if you don't know, Cameron Hayward is the son of Craig Ironhead Hayward. Okay, who, yeah. If you remember the the bruising mm-hmm. running oh, yeah. back, Ironhead, uh, this the is his son, and it, it talked about how you know it was such a loss for him, and they were, you know, so close in you know, father son relationship, and uh, this guy, it is amazing. He has been he's been nominated by the Steelers to be their Walter Payton Man of the Year like six times. Crazy, Isn't that crazy. That's wild. Like every year, the team's like, oh no, it's it's Cam. This guy's a classy it's Cam. That's one of the classiest organizations in sports. Yeah, and then Tomlin was there rooting him on. I mean, and he finally won it, and boy, they um. The, 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 he, he, some some players are like uh, incredibly and with full respect have a great charity. He's got like six things he's doing. Yeah, like he goes from one to the next to the next to the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty awesome. So props to that guy. I mean, it, it go. You know, there's a lot of negativity in the NFL sometimes about players and what they do, but there are a lot of guys doing a lot of good in their communities, yep. and uh, that's a great thing. And uh, you know, props to them for spotlighting that. But Cameron Haywood, I mean, I was like, uh, you get a little emotional because you see his relationship with his dad. They're showing him growing up, and now he's he's fueling his 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 uh, you know his grief for his father into helping others. Uh, and it really is cool. No, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I believe every team submits their own. Yes, every team like, votes on who their man of the yeah. year is, and then the, the yeah. league chooses one. Yeah. So, and I don't want to because I know Dak was last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't Dak win it last year? 
Or two years ago? Uh, I know he was the Cowboys nominee. Yeah. I thought he, I thought he might have won it a we'll few years ago. I could be wrong. And obviously the, the, the first ever man of the year in the NFL was Johnny Unitas. That was the ah. first one. They gave that out in like 1970. And then uh, after his death, they, they named it after Walter Payton for all that he had done. And of course, his kids were there last night um, as part of that because they handed out the award. It was really good. I thought that yeah. was really a nice moment. Um, yeah. We had in his eighth season as NFL starting quarterback, uh, Prescott has a uniform decal in the shape. So I don't know if he won it, but he was – yeah, he was, he, was Walter, he was Walter Payton Man of the Year. Yeah, he was. Nice. Last year. It was last year. Yeah, that's the whole thing about Dak. Yeah. There's not much to not like about the guy. I mean, he's yeah. about to have a baby. I mean, we know he's had a lot of grief in his life. He's lost a brother recently. He's he yes, lost his mom, mom in high school. Yeah. He's got a great so, character. So when we talk about him not getting it done in the playoffs, it's not to, not to rip the guy. It's mm-hmm. just like it just is. What are yeah. you going to do? There's nothing not to like about Dak Prescott. He just doesn't elevate and play clutch in the biggest moments. And that's uh, – he actually goes the other way, which you just can't have as, as a quarterback if you want to make a championship run. Yeah, I mean, and unfortunately – That is a requirement of the position. If you're a Dak hater, you know, I got bad news for you. He's going to get signed to a blockbuster extension. It's about to happen. It's never happened before where a player finishes second in the MVP voting and doesn't get a contract extension. Come on now. Yeah, he's, and it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. Yeah. He's got more negotiating leverage than he's ever had. Yes, his agent will do well. <laughs> uh, and, and they've got the team over a barrel because his $59.5 million cap hit this year is not sustainable. Oh, yeah. they, they can't have that. If they're yeah. going to try to field a championship or at least a playoff team next year, now. you either cut everybody and start over mm-hmm. or you have to stretch it out, and that's going to lock you into DAC for – you know, the next half decade for sure. All right, we'll come back. When we do, uh, Rod will take us behind the burnt orange curtain. <laughs> There's Jerry. Dang <laughs> uh, it. Dang it. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Hook him up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Austin, Texas Sports, the Horn. Hook him up, rolls on in the fabulous 25th hour of our week of Super Bowl week. Rod B will be at the Super Bowl. We learned that this morning. He's got the uh, the trip all planned and ready to go. He was waiting to see how, see how his uh, mouth recovered from his wisdom teeth procedure, and he's going to be good to go. He won't get to uh, have any big steaks or anything while he's out there. Chow down on some of that great uh, Vegas food, but you'll get to uh, see the bright lights, and you can see the sphere up close for the first time, Rod. Oh, yeah. I, really, I haven't been there since uh, they got the sphere up. I haven't been the there in a while, actually. Did you see the guy earlier in the week who climbed the sphere? Like the, the, the... Yeah, he's like yes. a... It was like a protest, right? Yeah, he like was a pro-life, fighting for a pro-life, yep. Pro-life activist or the something. The funniest um, part, though, is he got to the top, and he was just, like, staring down, like, all right, I don't know how to get down. <laughs> yeah. It was just yeah, him they, they just, were, like, walking around, like, a, pacing. Was it a ladder that he just climbed from the, from no, the side he had, of it? He has, he, he, oh, he no, it? so the, the sphere itself, I was, like, looking into it. The way that they, like, create all the images, it's just, uh-huh. like, bulbs that stick out. And so he was literally uh, using the bulbs as, like, a ladder to climb up. Oh, damn. He didn't break them, huh? I was going to say, yeah. the bulbs would be pretty sturdy then. Oh, they're massive, the yeah. Oh, damn. I didn't realize that. All right. Well, That's pretty cool. Yeah, so he climbed the sphere. Don't be doing that out there, Rod. No, no. I hear the sphere is, like, distracting, though. Oh, uh, yeah. They've, they've talked about a bunch of wrecks on, yeah, on, on the strip because people bad, are people... staring at slam into somebody. Yeah, I can see that, too. It makes sense. You know, I was like, man, I've never seen anything like that in the middle of a city, in the strip like that. <laughs> and it's always got something different, or it's always some new advertising or something on it. 
Yeah. You know, oh, that's where they're trying to make pro- their money. Some new promotion or something they got going on. I think the NHL is going to have their draft there, though. That's going to be cool. I think they are. That's going to be really freaking cool. The NFL probably will do it there, too, after. Well, look, I'm, I'm, they work out the kinks. I'm stubborn on this, but I'm probably wrong. But I, after having the NFL draft there and now seeing the Super Bowl there, this should always be there. You know, because somebody mentioned Dak Prescott won it last year, the Walter Payton Man of the Year mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, and they booed him. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like, come on, man. That's a good point. Philadelphia boos everybody. But as I say, if you're in Philadelphia and that's where they have the uh, the, the draft, or no, that's where they did, they did the honors in Philadelphia? No, the Eagles were playing in the game, so they booed them. The last year's Super Bowl was where? L.A.? L.A. I think you're right. But the, the Eagles fans that were there booed them. That makes sense. It wasn't in Philly. It was in – Because they, they were there they for, were there for the, the game. Team, yeah. yeah, for the game. And they booed them. But uh, still, I mean, if I'm if – I'm, the, the great thing in Vegas is when the event is over, you're still in Vegas, and you can go do fun things and do Vegas. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's for the fans, though, but that's not good for the game. Yeah, I agree. Like the game needs – they need to basically take it on the road like a traveling road show. Yeah, it's good. And, it's, it's, and that's basically what the draft has now become. Yeah, and yeah. it's – you know, the individual markets, you know, there's estimated yeah. over a billion dollars of income. Yeah, it's, it's – yeah. revenue But generated. I agree. If, if you go and you want to have something to do the entire time, yeah, Vegas is definitely the spot. But I think for the NFL, it's – basically they have turned that uh, – the NFL draft, now this traveling around, they've turned it into like a kind of a, a, a football bazaar. If yeah. you will, like it's you know they bring. Well, of course, it's their own, and they're within the bazaar, which is Vegas, right? It's yeah. one on one big party. Because uh, look, like in two years, it's Super Bowl sixty, and that's going to be yeah. in San Francisco, Levi Stadium. But Levi Stadium is not in San Francisco; it's, no, it's way out I've there. Been there, and it sucks. There's yes. nothing else out there. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's, that's that's actually a bad idea. Unless they build up that area around it, it's boring as hell out there going yeah, to a San Fran game because like, it's not in San Fran. Yeah, and I think once they. And it's not even like Arlington with Jerry. Like, at least they built that up around. You got some stuff. There's nothing really around there at all. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Vegas, you come out of the game, you're like, sweet. Because in, in Vegas, that game's going to kick off at 430. be over by 730. Yeah. They'll come out, and you got, you got Vegas, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. No, you're right. But that's I, what we did with the NFL draft. The first round, we went to the Thursday night first round, and then we went back for the second night. But the first round was over. Uh, 32 picks were done by, you know, 8 o'clock. It's like, yeah. sweet. No, you're right. For the fans' experience, it definitely would help because you don't want to – you know, Tennessee is great. I guess Tennessee, that's one of those places. Nashville would be fun. Nashville, because Nashville – right, You go right on to Broadway. My brother, my brother went to that draft when it was in Nashville, and he said it was awesome. Yeah, and that had, would be a blast. And they had half a million people that attended that draft. And I think that's also what they want. I mean, the NFL is now getting – they're getting numbers that rival, like, South by Southwest. And, oh, I know. And ACL. Because people are just going now. to the game show up. Yeah, these are some of the biggest music festivals in the country. The NFL is doing those kind of numbers where they just – draft now. Well, I ran into my buddy Eric, Eric Lopez last night. Eric, Eric works out at Lions Muni. He's got a golf academy in yeah. Austin. Golf. He had just flown back in because he's a big Niners fan, and he went out with his wife yeah. for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There you go. And, like, did the sights and did Vegas yeah. and, you know, took in the – they went to the, the opening night media day thing. There you go. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I don't have to go, go to the game. Out. I'm going to be a part of it, though. I'm going to support my team. Yep. And I got to go to Vegas. So, you know. I know. Said, I, I, know like, I haven't been to Vegas in a while, and I realized it. So, it's going to be fun. It's I, you know I have a good time and I I just the he last time I went was the draft. He doesn't um, have a good time in Vegas. But uh, so Rod will be there. It'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. Uh, also, Rod, we've got uh, uh, the Longhorn basketball team playing tomorrow, two o'clock. If you're looking for Saturday, what, what am I going to watch? College yeah, Big Twelve right. basketball. We'll preview that coming up because it's some big games. Obviously, every weekend, every Saturday is big in the Big Twelve right now. Texas women in action tomorrow too. Texas baseball should be starting up next Friday. Right? Next Friday, right? One yeah. week from tonight, Texas okay. baseball will open up against San Diego. Okay. 
That would be San good. Diego. That yep. team's supposed to be pretty good. Are they ranked in the top ten? Yeah, we're, we'll, next week we'll try to get Coach Pierce to join us and uh, preview the season. And uh, our man Ty Harrington will jump on too and talk to uh, Texas baseball to get ready for what should promise to be a really good year. Uh, their final year in the Big 12 uh, looks like a pretty good team. All right, Rod, let's, uh, speaking of Texas, let's go behind the burnt orange curtain one more time in this fabulous fifth hour. And they were all asking themselves the same question. Um, Brock, what can you have the cuts ready? It's behind that curtain. All right, let's get into some uh, Texas football conversation. Obviously, Steve Sarkeesian has been very open, and he has been forthcoming about his admiration for the uh, the Shanahan coaching tree. He talks about it all the time, how close he and uh, Kyle Shanahan are and how they swap ideas and philosophy all the time. Uh, he's also talked about visiting with Sean McVay and how he's made sure that he pays close attention to that, to that coaching tree. And no matter what branch you're talking about, Sean McVay or Shanahan himself, or you're talking about even uh, Matt LaFleur, he's talked about having uh, some conversations with Matt LaFleur and other members of that coaching tree. And he's talked about like i said he's stealing not stealing borrowing concepts siphoning ideas from their coaching tree implementing those integrating those within his offensive system and you'll probably see a lot of these concepts in the super bowl of course but if you're a longhorn fan they'll look familiar to you because there's a lot of things that uh shano has done within his offense that really kind of revolutionized uh offensive uh the, the really the offensive football in the nfl over the last five, six years or so that really have become commonplace. And there are certain uh, traits, there are certain ideals that really do link the Shanahan office and the Sark office. Now, he's not from the Shanahan coaching tree, but he is an admirer of it, especially since his time in Atlanta where he had to study it. He had to go down the rabbit hole and study the Shanahan office. Why? Because Dan Quinn uh, hired him as the OC following Shanahan in 2016 when they – should have won the Super Bowl there. Had a uh, 28-3 lead on Tom Brady, the GOAT, and uh, couldn't close it out. But after that, they had the, they had the best offense in the league. Uh, Matt Ryan had his best season, had an MVP season, and Dan Quinn wanted to replicate as much of that as he could. So he brought Sark in with a unique challenge. And the unique challenge for Sark was, hey, I need you to be able to transition that Shanahan offense to your offense, but I, I want you to keep as much of the foundation as possible. All right, much of the uh, much of the key core philosophy as possible, and that's what Sark did. And I do believe it changed him. I do believe it evolved his offensive ideology. And there are certain concepts that I think really stick out as commonalities between these two offenses. And one is the pre-snap motion. Sark's offense changed tremendously when, after following Shanahan, he started using a lot more pre-snap motion. Why? Because, well, pre-snap motion gives you a significant advantage. I remember Brian Harson telling me that, that motion causes emotion. And I want my defenders making emotional decisions because people who make emotional decisions make bad decisions. They always tell you don't make a, a really big decision when you're emotional, right? Like right after somebody passes away or right when you're going through something traumatic, don't make a big decision there yeah because that's going to affect your decision making he said he can do that on a micro level with defenders and he's right about that any motion or shift causes defenders to lose their mind they have to they have to communicate uh, about the shift in the motion it usually changes the strength or the weakness of the the formation of the uh the, the, the coverage or the pressure of the front so there are a lot of different things just a slight motion or shift can do to reveal information 
to the offense. And that's what Shannon's trying to do. He's trying to find out the rules of your defense. He's trying to find out exactly the rules of integrity that bind your structural integrity of your defense, and then he wants to violate them. Here's Steve Young talking about how Shanahan uses motion, and it's very similar to how Sark uses motion and weaponizes it. He uses motion a lot, and in motion, motion makes a defense speak to you. Yeah. He wants as much information out of you before he snaps the football. He'll do it with formation. He'll do it with different people in different spots. He asks his players, Christian McCaffrey, can you line up at receiver? Yes. Can you line up in the slot? Yes. Can you line up off the line at tight end? Can you line up in the eye? Can you line? And because of that, he can now, because defenses all go like, where's Christian McCaffrey? Okay. Oh, I got to do certain things when I see that. So he has the defense speak to you. Yes. And give you as much information as you possibly can get from them before the before the snap. And what is Brock Purdy's best quality? Taking all that information, give that to me because every inch of that I'm going to make you pay. He uses, and he's right about that. That's what Sark uses it for too. It's a lot of getting the defense to reveal their responsibilities, their obligations, and the rules of the defense. And he also gets into how you know Sark likes to move things, uh, how Shannon likes to move things around, and Sark moves things around too. Interchangeable pieces on offense. Now Sark is not into the multiplicity that Shannon's into, but Sark even remarked in his earlier uh, media availability this week that he taught all of his wide receivers to play every position uh, on that on that in their wide receiving core, the slot, the outside, the X, the Y, and the Z, they all are interchangeable. Now he doesn't interchange them as much as he probably should, but that is a goal of his offense, and that is obviously the that is not only the goal but that is the intent the mission of Shano's offense is to have movable chess pieces which makes them much tougher to defend anyway getting back to it that's another way they're similar but the pre-snap motion ever since Shano took over the 49ers in 2017 the pre-snap motion kind of revolution in the NFL has hit because he was so extreme with his philosophy and now you look at the top four teams in pre-snap motion rate in the NFL Miami's at 82 percent uh the rams are at 70 percent the 49ers are at 75 percent green bay's at 64 percent all in the shanahan coaching tree and they understand how important motions and shifts are pre-snap in terms of revealing indicators to the to the quarterback and that's what uh, Sark does really well. Now, Sark doesn't use it as much as he should. He's only at 55% motion rate. If you're in a Shanahan tree, that's really, really low. My prediction is that this year, you'll see Sark increase pre-snap motion and shift rate tremendously. And one thing I think he has to do is it can increase targets to motion. These are targets to a player that was in motion prior to the snap or at the time of the snap. Shano's famous for this, and so is Sark, actually. Sark does a lot of this, targeting players who were in motion prior to the snap or at the time of the snap. They even have what they call now the cheat motion or the cheetah motion. That is when they get a receiver going parallel to the line of scrimmage, and he's the ball is snapped while he's still in motion to give him a running head start to a sense. And that's, I mean, that was something that was created by Mike McDaniel, but it was also something that Shano revolutionized from the backfield. Here's Rashad White, Tampa Bay Bucks running back, talking about how his coach Coaches, studied the Shanahan offense and then gave him a little trick of the trade, a little cheat code with what they call the shuffle motion. 
have you noticed that little shuffle motion they do with McCaffrey? Yeah, yeah. What is that? <laughs> so the biggest thing about that, and I was talking to him, my coach, Skip Pete, my first year with him. Yeah. And, like, I was started killing in a pass game so much, and he was like, he was telling me, because I didn't know what that was either. I thought they was just doing it, like I said, just to do it. Just for, for viewers, basically they'll have McCaffrey in the backfield, and then he just sort of, like, yeah, just shuffle out, like just hop out. Five, yeah, so it's just kind of, hop it's out. A, it's an unconventional pre-snap. So Coach Canales, uh, he started putting plays in certain things for us. So the biggest thing for him, they don't want if it's a free release, they don't want him to get touched. Right. So when you ask it like that, sometimes defensive ends are taught and they see you because you got to do a little art coming out. Mm-hmm. So they see you sometimes defensive end, they they taught to just chip you, chip the running back. Right. So the biggest thing for that shuffle, obviously, is to get him to not get tipped by the running back. So he has a lot of momentum, too, when the ball is snapped to just be able to go. And then, obviously, that's the biggest thing. Like, you want to be able to hit a linebacker full speed and things like that because now he got to guess which way you're going to go on a lot of things. Yeah, when Christian McCaffrey crosses the line of scrimmage without contact, 8.1 yards per attempt. (laughs) He's getting some chunk yards that way. And it's never just motion for the sake of motion like Rashad White thought it was. That's always an intent. That's always a purpose. And I think Sark's going to increase that this season, actually, especially after he studies offenses every year. He studies his favorite coaching tree every year. And if he's studying the trends, he knows his offense may be behind, actually, when it comes to that modernized concept of weaponizing motions and shifts rates. Here's a little, uh, little stat for you, though, about targets to motion for Sark. Since he came to Texas, his targets to motion um, have produced 10.2 yards per attempt, 10 yards per attempt, and 8.4 yards per attempt in his first three years. His completion percentage when they target to motion, 80%, 78%, and 81%. It works. It works. It works. So I think Sark's going to use more of that, and a lot of that came from his influence or the creative influence of a man, Shano. Another thing, we talked about this yesterday, compressed and condensed sets. Sark uses a lot of them. Uh, nobody uses more of them than Shano. 19.9 yards, uh, the width, if you will, of the formation on average. That is the shortest width of a formation on average in the NFL, and the reason for that is there's a lot. It dictates terms. Defenses have to play you uh, less aggressive because they don't want to get picked or rub. They have to play outside leverage because there's so much room on the outside. Usually they're going to put an extra defender in the box, force cornerbacks and safeties to be forced run defenders. He can dictate terms so much with simply compressing and condensing those sets, and it just makes you less predictable than a spread set. That's why Sark uses it a lot too. Now it could come with complications like uh, pass protection and whether your receivers actually can kind of work their way through the traffic at times, but if you can avoid those pitfalls, there are so many more advantages to compressed and condensed sets than there are to a lot of the spread sets, and that's why you see Shannon on the cutting edge of that, and my man Sark is also on that cutting edge, too, of the condensed and compressed sets. Uh, that's something, and also the biggest, I think, uh, I think creative influence that I have seen from Sark, and, and this is Sark's ability to kind of morph his offense with Shano's offense. Dan Quinn really challenged him to keep a lot of the two back sets and the two back concepts because Shano uses two backs in the backfield 40% of the time, except he uses a traditional fullback. Well, the spin on that for Sark was he was going to keep it because that's, a, that's half the offense. So I'm not going to get rid of half the offense when I'm trying to transition that Atlanta offense from Shano's to mine. So what my man Sark did was brilliant. He just used a pony package. So instead of using a fullback with two back sets, he used another tailback. Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman. It was brilliant. And it worked really well, actually, that year in 2017 and in 2018. And he has still utilized 
past that. I, I think it's just coincidence, but it was a very fortunate one that he came to Texas with the best running back room in the country and then brought in Brandon Marion to double down on that philosophy, add even more to it with the go-go offense, a two-tailback system with a West Coast passing game, triple option running game. And I think all of that has led to that also being something we can look to increase in 2024, his use of the pony package, because it is still the most explosive, most efficient, and most effective personnel grouping that Sark has had to date on the 40 acres. And I think it ties originally back to his time studying channel. Good stuff right there behind the burnt orange curtain. Yeah, we now know the Longhorns when they face Michigan on week two. We'll face Wink Martindale as the defensive coordinator of the Michigan Wolverines. He's been hired this morning. Of course, uh, Cowboys have hired Mike Zimmer. And uh, a lot of back and forth between the NFL and college football now. Mm-hmm. Going from college to the pros, pros back to college. Seeing a lot of that is, uh, you know, we played yesterday. You know, Seattle Seahawks have hired Steve Belichick yep. to coach their defense. And Pete Carroll's son to coach the offense. And so there's a lot of crossover now. Coaches both ways, NFL and college football, as they kind of get closer and closer together. We'll come back and uh, hit what's popping to wrap up this edition and get you into the week. Again, and Rod, I'll ask you this and what's popping. Do we already know the score of the Super Bowl? Do we already know the score? Uh, we may. We'll play that for you coming next. Talk about with Ian Rodby. What's popping? Brand new whip, just hopped in. I got options. I can pass that like Stockton. Just joshing. I'm spending this holiday locked in. My body got rid of them toxins. All right, it's what's popping time. It's uh, the Super Bowl, obviously, popping this weekend. Niners remain a two-point favorite. And through all the conversations about the Super Bowl, Rod, is it possible we already know the score? Because uh, if we better go bet back, on it if you do. Well, I'll give you a number on that. So if we go back to the start of the season, Rod, Mecole Hardiman was a member of the New York Jets. Remember the New York Jets mm-hmm. uh, on one of the episodes had the uh, – the mental guy come in, the, the guy that could read minds. And oh, man. What's his name? Can't I remember his name. I don't know, but I know you Oz about. the Mentalist, I think. Oz the Mentalist. And here it is. This is Oz the Mentalist talking to me, Cole Hardiman, then oh, of the man. New York Jets. Can we play this for you? All right, there we go. The sound call is not great, but 31-21 Jets was the pick, and the mentalist predicted that's what he would pick. He said 31-21 Jets over the Niners. Oh, gosh. He now plays on the Chiefs. Okay. And right now in Vegas, the most bet correct score in the Super Bowl is Chiefs 31, Niners 21. That's wow. the most bet score in Man, Vegas at plus double one, digits at plus ten thousand. A double, they got to be about double digits. That's so a there lot. you go. That's from the mentalist. That's a lot. Nicole Hardiman. And the, the the funny part of the bit is his the guy held up the sign of the score he thought he was going to predict before he predicted it. Not so, not close. No, it was right on. Oh, he, was it? He guessed thirty-one twenty-one. So thirty-one. So you know, if we come in here on Monday morning and it's thirty-one twenty-one, we're we're just going to shut down. It'll be closer than that. <laughs> it'll, be closer. it'll be it'll be closer than thirty-one twenty-one in my opinion. I don't think it'll go. I don't think it'll be a ten point win. Do you think either, either team gets to thirty? The Chiefs or the, the Niners are averaging twenty nine points per yeah, game no, in the playoffs. Yeah, they get to thirty, but I don't think either team is gonna beat separate the other. like that. I don't think you're gonna beat them by double digits. That's why I think the game is so close. I think it's gonna be a really close game. I do. I think the desperation of Shano is gonna show if uh, if if Kansas City is able to get up early, then he's gonna coach differently. Because remember, he's been up double digits in these in these Super Bowls. Yeah, gotta finish them. So he believes that what he's doing is working. 
He just hasn't been able to finish. The key is, though, Brock Purdy's finishing form now. Think about it. He never had a quarterback that could finish. Yeah, now he never had a quarterback it. with a clutch gene before. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have it. No, he missed opportunities. So, if Brock Purdy's closing better than any quarterback Shano's ever had, and to me, Shano's got to come in with the blueprint that he's had pretty much to become a front runner and let Brock Purdy be Brock Purdy and close out the game, and then you got it. I think we would all agree they have to play a lot better in the first half than they have in either, the, either of the two playoff games that so is true. far. Because that won't work because the Chiefs no. have been real good in the first half in their playoff games, and uh, you can't let that uh, happen. Uh, and obviously, t- maximum effort for the 49ers defense, which we've talked about this week uh, yeah, on all seriously. plays. Uh, also this weekend, y'all, if you're looking for uh, stuff tomorrow, the Big 12 will again take center stage uh, in basketball. Texas plays West Virginia. That is at the Moody Center, obviously. That's a 2 o'clock tip. Absolute must-win game for Texas there. That's one of the teams you have to beat in the West Virginia. There are no nights off or days off, but that's as, between that and Oklahoma State's about as close as you get. And the Longhorns have already lost to West Virginia one time. Can't lose Can't to them again. again. They're, they're battling nope. injuries right now. Um, the better, best game of the weekend is at 5 o'clock on, uh, on tomorrow. That's Baylor and Kansas from last week. It was Houston and Kansas at Fog mm-hmm. Allen Fieldhouse. Tomorrow it's Baylor at Kansas at Fog Allen. It's the You've Big also 12. Got, it's the Big 12. Yeah, every week. We also Every have uh, fifth-ranked Houston at Cincinnati, which should be a good game. Oklahoma State's at Oklahoma and the Bedlam game. So there's some college hoops tomorrow. No nights off. In. No nights off. Not in the Big 12 anyway. Uh, no nights off for you either, Rod. You're, you're getting on the bird, man. You're flying out there. Yeah, I got a little since. time. I'm going to leave it till tonight. Tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got a little late time. flight. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not trying to get. I'm not trying to get to Vegas too early. Trust me, I don't want to spend that much time there. I just want to go to the game. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I guess once you've been to Super Bowls, you don't want to go to all the parties and all that stuff. That stuff. No. Well, even if you take that. off at nine ish here, you'll land and you gain an hour, so you'll be. Yeah. You'll be landing it. It'll I'll, still be easy, easy. I'll land time. with time to go like visit some stuff and go see some folks and you know go probably go eat a nice meal or yeah. whatever I can eat. But I am not interested in the Super Bowl party scene. No, no. Super Bowl scene. That's why I want to go. Go to the game, enjoy the game, and I'll give you all the highlights when I get back, if there are any. May not be any. Maybe kind of a under. It may be, yeah, because I, like I said, I, I haven't. I don't know if I'm going to see Shadow before the game because I don't know how busy he is, and I'm getting there, like, like I said, the day before, and I know he might be really busy. Um, so I'll hit him up. I haven't even told him I'm coming yet. I've told uh, both skis and them, but I haven't told Shadow yet. So. Are they going? Both skis is going. Both skis is going. Sims is already there working. Uh, and Shannon, of course, is there. So uh, and those guys will be there. So I'll get to visit with those guys. I don't know if I'll see Shannon before the game, though, because of the rigorous schedule that he has. That awesome. Kind of stuff. Well, have but fun, I'll see his family, friend. probably. Have a good time, my yeah. friend. And we certainly will. We'll be having the, the, the Super Bowl watch, watch here at our house. So that's good. We'll have stories on Monday. Uh, Brock will be back on Monday. Good stuff today, Brock. A lot of audio your way, and we appreciate you handling it. That was popping today for sure. And uh, looking forward to a great weekend. Well, sure. Enjoy the, enjoy the final football game of the year, y'all. Yeah, man. Or at least of the season. For real, appreciate it. More to come in this year, but not for this season. Uh, Rod, be careful. Rod will have brother. stories when he gets here on Monday morning. You will certainly bring your stories. Enjoy your Super Bowl parties. Uh, don't uh, don't overdo it because we need to hear have you back at 6 a.m. on Monday morning uh, uh, no. to recap. I'm old and wise. I can't. I won't overdo it in Vegas. Too I'm telling, wise I'm telling that. our knucklehead audience, don't overdo oh, it. Yeah, yeah, don't Get up me. early with it. <laughs> don't be late for work. Like Lucas Glover on the PGA Tour missed his tea time. Don't be missing tea times at 6 a.m. Monday. All the hours, every hour, podcast of this program at hornfm.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. It is the Jim Rome Show next, live from the Super Bowl.